So this week's parasha begins with the words, Vaydaber Hashem el Moshe b'midbar Sinai. The Creator is revealed to Moshe to Moses in the Sinai Desert. The Midrash explains the term. We know that clearly this is a, a, not a historical story telling us that the Creator was revealed to Moses in the desert, but that there's a lesson for all of us here. And the Midrash tells a, a, a lesson that I know we've all heard before, and I, and I share this before, that you know, when, I, when I talk about this concept that we're going to talk about now, I, sometimes I almost feel like it's, um, it's, um, it's a waste. Because we hear it so many times, and you try to find, you're thinking, you know, how can you share it in a way that would really awaken people to change in this way? Um, and I found two stories that I, I hope give us a little bit more impetus, a little bit more understanding, and therefore give us really the ability to really change in this way. But the concept that the Kabbalists teach and it underlies this entire Shabbat is the idea that the only way the Creator revealed Himself to Moshe and the only way the Creator can reveal Himself to us is B'midbar. When a person makes himself like a desert, that the light of the Torah cannot rest, the Midrash says, only to a person who makes himself like a desert. Meaning, no ego, no feeling of better than anybody else, allowing anybody to do with you what they will, obviously within a logical, you know, uh, I, you know sometimes I get scared, you know, you got some, some people who are on the other side of this, but most of us are on the, completely on the wrong side where, you know, where we stand up for, you know, for our respect and for our ego, you know, and nothing, you know, nothing can be done, so I'm talking to most of us like that. The Torah is saying that unless you are constantly diminishing yourself, diminishing your ego, the light of the Torah cannot rest. The light of the Torah cannot rest. And again, like I said, we speak about this all the time, that the light of the, the Creator cannot rest unless a person diminishes his ego constantly. So what can we say more to, to awaken um, us to really live this? Because what we have to understand is that no matter what we do of a spiritual nature, if we are not every single day of our lives finding ways to diminish our ego, either accepting them when they come from outside or awakening new ways for us to diminish our ego, then we cannot, we will never be connected to the light of the Creator, ever. So there's two stories that I want to share, one from the Talmud and one from the Ushalmi. The first one is in the Talmud Sakhim. The story is, it's a lengthy story, and I'll only say the, 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 the pertinent parts to this, to this story. Pamachat Chalar Ba'asar Liot Beshabbat. Is there a Christian name? Once um, Pesach occurred, the 14th was on Shabbat. Shachachu velo yadu in Pesach dochet Shabbat. And they didn't know what to do. The people in Israel at the time didn't know if in Pesach docheta Shabbat, if Pesach um, um, will allow them to bring the, the sacrifice, even though it's Shabbat. So they go, even the smartest, the greatest sages, don't know what to do. So they send out a, 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 like a call. Does anybody know the answer to this question? Amulahim, and they heard, Adam Echad Yesh. There's one person in the world, at least in the known in Israel at the time, who knows the answer to this question. Sha'alami Bavel, this is somebody who has just 
come to Israel from Babylon. Vihilel Habavli Shmu. And his name is Hilel the Babylonian. The famous, those of us who know, the famous Hilel. Hilel studied under the two great sages, Shmaya and Avtalion. And he certainly knows the answer to this question. So they send a messenger to Hilel. We hear you have the answers to the questions that we have. Please come and teach us. And he said, do you know the answer to this question? And he said, yes. And the answer to their question was also yes. So when they saw that Hillel was able to answer a question that nobody else in the whole land was able to answer, they made him the leader, they made him the, the, uh, the, 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 what's called the Nasi, or the prince, the person who, who was the leader at the time. Because they realized that it wasn't just that there was one question they couldn't answer, but it's a sign from the Creator that this is the person because he can answer the question that nobody else can, and he's supposed to be the leader. And all day he was sitting there and teaching. And he also thought to himself, he said, you know what, let me take this opportunity to give them over the head a little bit, to you know, help them change. So he started, you know, pinching them a little bit. He said to them, Do you know why none of you knew the answer to the question that I knew the answer? It's not because I'm greater than you or smarter than you. You guys, all of you, you guys are lazy. You did not push yourself to go and, and, and study from and, and serve the two great sages, you guys are lazy. I'm not lazy. That's why I know the answers. You don't know the answers. Again, what was his thought here? Hillel was, a, was an unbelievable soul. He wasn't trying to simply say negative things to them. He was trying to awaken them to become less lazy, to, to push themselves. Right after he says this, somebody comes with a question. Mahu. Amar lahen, he says, Halachazu shamati veshachachti. He immediately says, I heard, the truth is, I know the answer to the question that you're asking me now. I know that I remember that I heard it, but I forgot it. From, from here, Amar Rabbi Yehuda, Amar Rav, Rabbi Yehuda said in the name of Rav, Kol yahir, whoever has any feelings of ego, im chacham hu if he has wisdom, his wisdom goes away, im navihu if he's a prophet, he loses his prophecy. So we learn from here, you know, sometimes we talk about the the, the danger of, of ego. Here we're learning a new thing. That when a person, when a person has ego, when a person not just has ego, does not push himself daily to diminish his ego, he will not remember the important things. This happens all the time, right? We're doing our spiritual work, we're, we're trying to grow, we're trying to change, and then maybe we'll go for a year, for two years, and suddenly we'll wake up. You know, I, I can't believe I haven't been focusing on this thing. I can't, oh my God, how, how did I miss this? You know how you missed it? Because you had ego. Because you push yourself every day to diminish your ego. You remember all the things. You remember things that you think are important. But the important things, the things that will really bring you to a connection to light of the Creator, you're going to forget. There's no way to remember the important things in our own spiritual work unless we are constantly diminishing our ego. 
So now we have a new, hopefully a new appreciation for our urgent need to diminish our ego every day. Because we can be learning and growing and helping and sharing and do all kinds of spiritual actions. But we're going to forget to do the important ones. The ones that will really bring us to a connection to the light of the Creator. If we are not constantly diminishing our ego, find, constantly finding ways to push our ego down and accepting when it comes from other people. The light of the Torah not only does not rest on a person who does not diminish his ego, but also if it was ever there, it is removed immediately if ego is allowed to be maintained. The, the Gemara also tells us again that even if a person is great, great on the level of a prophet, if he has ego or if he allows the venom, the deadly venom of ego to come in, he loses his prophecy. He or she loses his prophecy. And the, the Gemara says, how do we know this? If a person is a prophet, meaning he's achieved the ultimate level of, of being a prophet, but if he has ego, if he allows ego to come in, he loses this power of prophecy. We learn this from Dvorah, the prophetess. In the famous song of Dvorah, she says that before my time, people lived in, in walled cities because they were fearful. But after I, I began to lead, people began to feel more safe. And they started living outside of the cities. So she gave herself a pat on the back. What happened? Because she allowed that thought of ego to come in. She realized she had lost her ability to prophesy and she had to do actions to reawaken her connection to prophecy to be able to prophesy. Because she allowed one thought of ego to come in. Again, we're talking about Dvorah the prophetess who achieved, it was on a, a tremendously high level. But because she allowed one thought, and again, why was she saying it? She wasn't saying it for ego, but the Creator saw that there was some element of ego in the words that she was saying. She lost a, po- a power of prophecy. And again, the Hillel and Devorah, they were on a level where, you know, 99.9% of their lives was, was Kamitba, was like a desert, no ego at all. And once ego came in for Hillel, he forgot. Once ego came in for Dvorah, she lost the prophecy. For us, it's the opposite, right? It's 99.9% ego. And hopefully, you know, there's 0.1% of non-ego. But what we learn from them is that when we allow ego to stay and we do not push ourselves consistently to diminish our ego, not only can the light of the Creator not rest, but if any light ever came in, the important light will be lost. The important messages will be lost. And I'd like to end with a story from the Yerushalmi. It says, B'nai Simonaya, the inhabitants of the village of Simonaya, Atun Rebbe. They came to Rabbi Yudanasi. Amrin lay and they said to him, Ba titen lanchad barnash. Send us somebody who can be our leader. Send us somebody who can be our teacher. They come to the great uh, Rebbe, and he said to him, we need somebody to be our leader, we want somebody to be our teacher. And he said to them, I have the most amazing student, the most amazing spiritual soul, his name is Levi, the son of Sisi, he will, I will send him, he will be your leader. And so they were all excited, the, the, the inhabitants of the town of Simonaya, and they built this platform where Rabbi Levi ben Sisi can sit down, and he can teach them, 
And they came and they asked him a question. He doesn't say anything. They ask him another question. He can't answer. They say, Maybe he doesn't know halacha, maybe he doesn't know the law. Let's ask him questions about Agadah. Meaning the stories. Atun Vishalunle. So they ask him another question. Vilagivun, and he couldn't answer. He didn't answer. So they ask him all these questions. Can you imagine the unbelievable embarrassment? They come to this great spiritual leader, Rebbe. They say, Give us the most amazing spiritual guide. They send this guide, they put him on a platform. They come to ask him questions, not even one answer. He doesn't even answer one answer. So they go back to Rebbe. Can you just, just imagine this drama, right? All these people, they're all excited. The Rebbe sent us this great leader. They still go and they ask him all these questions. Nothing he can answer. So they go back to Rebbe and they say, trying to figure out what's going on here. I'm alone. Amulei hadin paisuna de paisantach. So they go to Rebbe and they say, who's this guy you sent? They tell him the whole story. He came to our town. We put him on a platform. We asked him questions. He couldn't answer any of our questions. Amar Lon, Rebbe said to them, Chayechon, you should know, I promise you, Barnash de Chavati Yahavit Lechon. This person, Levi Balsisi, is not just a great man. He's as great as I am, the leader at the time. Shalach Aitite, Vishalei. So, Rabbi Yudanasi calls Levi Balsisi to him. And he asked him all the questions that the people had asked him on that day. And he gives him all the answers. Amar so he sits to him, so you know the answers to these questions. So why didn't you give it to them when they asked you? Amar said, Levi Balsisi says to Rabbi Yudanasi, they put me on a, on a, on a platform, and they, my ego got the hold of me, and I lost everything. I forgot everything that I had learned. When a person allows ego to come in, he loses everything. What causes the great falling? Because you allowed ego to come in. Now people on the level of, of Hillel, or even Levi Balsisi, their forgetting of wisdom is going to come to them in obvious ways. Therefore, Levi Basisi literally couldn't answer any question because the Creator knew he doesn't have almost any ego, but because he allowed an inch of ego to come in, therefore, he lost and he was able to get it back. For us, it's much, much more dangerous because we're not on the level of Hillel or Devorah the Prophetess or Levi Basisi. Our ego is ever, ever there, is always there, so... so we are able to maintain some sort of what we think is wisdom. We're able to maintain some sort of consciousness. But we have to realize that that consciousness that we have, or that wisdom that we have, while the ego is still a part of us, is nothing. Because what we're not going to remember, what we're not going to have, the wisdom that will be lost, is the wisdom that's important, is the wisdom that will enable us to change, is the wisdom that will enable us to connect to the light of the Creator. And therefore, in this week of Bamidbar, one of the most important lessons to make ourselves a desert, meaning to make ourselves a person who is constantly working on diminishing our ego and allowing those outside forces to come that allow us to diminish our ego because we know a new thing. 
Not just that when you have ego, the light of the Creator separates from you. But the wisdom that we need for our lives to grow and to really connect the light of the Creator, we, will, we cannot ever have nor remember if we ever had it. If we still allow our ego to be a part of our lives, if we don't make it a constant daily practice to do an action that diminishes our ego, to allow external forces to diminish our ego, if you allow ego in your life, any important wisdom that you have, you will not maintain, you will not keep, it will not stay with you. And hopefully, I know we speak about this all the time, but again, I hope that we, from these stories, awaken a true appreciation for the terrible danger of the ego and of not diminishing it constantly, and also receive the power to become desert. But one of the things we want to ask for and beg for on the Shabbat, we say to the Creator, I know that we're, I'm full of ego. I know that, the, that my ego overwhelms me in ways that I can't even understand. But I beg on the Shabbat, as Moshe reached the level of being a desert, we ask the Creator to give us the, the, the power, the ability to be a desert like Moshe. Very important um, lessons, the most important, the most important gift. The second thing I want to speak about It says, this week's portion and also the whole book of the Midbar is called um, Sefer Kudim. It is the book or the portion also of the counting. The Creator says to Moshe, I want you to count up the Israelites. The Creator speaks to Moshe in the Sinai Desert saying, Count the Levites. Every male child over a month old, I want you to count. And one of the things to realize, and it relates to the first point we were speaking about, the idea of, of diminishing our ego. If, if God, maybe if God came to us, but if anybody else came to us and said, look, I have a job for you, right? We're talking about Moses, right? The, most, the leader of the generation. What's the job, God? I want you to walk around with a pad and pencil and go and count people. One... Two, three, four. I mean, can I ask my assistant maybe to do it? Can I ask somebody less important than me, Moses, to do it? Why is Moses, and of course Moses not even for one second thinks that this job is beneath him. But it, logically it is a job beneath Moses, right? To go around and count babies. Right? He's going into the tents, one baby, two babies. Right? This is the job that God gives Moses. It doesn't make any sense. And, and this, because... And this, again, goes into a whole discussion about ego. Because Moses, you know, we, we, think, you know, we think we have some appreciation of my ego and, and how I diminish it and, and where I want to be. Moses was, in true, people who are connected to the Creator, they're of a different nature than we are. There is no thought, you know, this, is, this isn't really beneath me, but you know, I'm going to push my ego, I'm going to diminish my ego, this is what God wants me to do, I'm going to do it. Moses didn't even have that thought. Why? Because this, I'm a desert. God, you want me to, you want me to clean the, the, you know, you want me to clean the, the, the garbage? Okay, I'll clean the garbage. You want me to walk around counting babies? I'll go around counting babies. There wasn't even a thought, okay, this doesn't make sense. This is beneath me. I should have somebody else do it. But God, I guess, wants me to do it. I'll do it. Okay, I'm going to do it with joy because I'm diminishing my ego. That's hopefully where some of us, where some of us can get to. But that's not where Moses was. Moses was a desert. Sure, today, God, what am I doing? I'm cleaning the garbage? Sure, okay. I'm going around counting babies? Sure, that's what I'm going to do. There's no argument, there's no, there's no, there's no sort of consciousness decision. And, I, uh, and related to this, is a beautiful picture that is created in this week's portion. It says, 
Ufkudat Elazar ben Aharon HaKohen. What was the job of Elazar, one of the great souls, the son of Aaron, Aaron, the, the high priest? He was the carrier for Shemen Hamaor, the oil that they used in the candelabra. Uktorat Hasamim, the incense that they burnt. Uminchat Hatamid, and what they brought as the constant um, uh, offering. Veshemen Hamishcha, and the um, and the oil that they used for anointing. The Ramban says. It says in the Midrash first. Amar Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi. Elazar haya nasi shel al anasim. Elazar, the son of Aaron, he was the he was the leader of all the of of, of all the leaders. Raash raash haytabi yado. And again, imagine the, the 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 level of respect people had for him. So it makes sense because he's such a great leader, Elazar, the son of Aaron, that all the work that had to be done, if it's the oil, if it's the incense, he'd have people around him and say, okay, now give me the oil, I'll use it, give me the incense, I'll use it. No. Love. He himself would carry it around the, the tabernacle, the mishkan. And just, I want to I awaken this picture in our mind because it's a beautiful picture. The sages said, and this is the way Elazar would walk around the tabernacle. He's holding on to the oil, which was very, very heavy, in his right hand. He would hold the incense in his left hand. And the daily offering is hanging off his, off his arm. And the Ramban, without going to the details, details how heavy the, the oil was, how heavy the incense were, how heavy, heavy the, the, the offering was. These were heavy things. So just imagine, like, you know, Elazar walking throughout the tabernacle with the oil and the incense and the, and the offering. And the Ramban says, Elazar chazak ki Yaakov avinu And that... Elazar, the son of Aaron, was as strong as Yaakov, as Moshe, as Aaron, as Aaron. And how did he receive his strength? Because he was willing to do this work. We were talking before about ego, and again, any one of us in the position of Elazar, we'd say, okay, let's, let's have you know, one, of the, one of the deputy Kohens carry the oil, the other deputy Kohen will carry the incense, the other deputy Kohen will carry the, uh, the, the offering. And I'll walk through, they'll walk with me. No, Elazar says, give me the oil. Give me the incense. Give me the offering. And every day, this is the way he walked through. And again, because this is, this is a person who is kemidbar, who is like a desert. And the same thing we said about Moshe. When the Creator comes to him, he says, Moshe, your job today, go count babies. Moshe says, okay, you want me to count babies, I'm going to go count babies. But he had a question. And it's an amazing lesson. It says in the Midrash, and Rashi brings it, Moses said to the Creator, How exactly should I go about counting the babies? Do I ask them to all get dressed up and, and stand in front of the tent? Do I go inside and, and look under the, 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 you know, the beds? 
I don't understand. But so I want, I'm saying this is my job and I'm going to do it. I just want to know exactly technically how you are. What if I miss a baby? And the, the Creator said to him eight words that if we can always remember this, this will change our lives. Moses, you do yours. You do your thing. And I'll worry about all the details. What does the negative side always tell us? You know, we, we have an idea or we want to do something. Oh, but what about that problem or this problem? Or, or can I do it? I don't think I can do it. Maybe somebody else can do it. All these thoughts that diminish the work that we do because I don't have the ability or I don't understand how. The Creator is giving Moshe here this most important lesson. Don't worry. Don't worry about the details. Don't worry about how. Just do you. I told you to do something. Go and do it. I'll do my thing. You do your thing. I'll do my thing. You do your thing. And I will do my thing. Moses went. He went to each tent. He stood at the opening of the tent. And the Shekhinah before him went into the tent. And a voice came out from the tent and said, This is the amount of babies in the tent. And therefore it says in the Torah that Moshe's counting was on the voice of God because Moshe went to the tent, the Shekhinah ran to the tent before him, counted the babies, and sent out his voice. The Shekhinah spoke to Moshe and said, this is the amount of babies in, in, the, in, the, uh, um, in the Mishkan. By the way, it is, this is a section that the Ari speaks about, and it's not often that the Ari speaks about um, things from, from, from Rashi and from the Midrash. This is clearly a very important lesson. And before we go any further with this, I just want to, again, really crystallize this idea when we talk about Moshe. How did the Shekhinah, how was it revealed to him? It wasn't revealed when he was studying or when he was teaching. It was revealed to him when he was counting babies. Now, if Moshe was not as pure as he was, and wasn't as much as a desert as he was, then he would have to go and count babies, maybe open up tents and ask people. It could have taken him years, maybe, to count. But because he accepted, he said, this is my job, and I'm not even going to worry about the details of how it's going to happen, the Shekhinah came and assisted him. There's so many things that we can accomplish, that we are meant to accomplish, but because we don't awaken this assistance from the Creator, it takes us so much longer. Imagine how long it would have taken Moses to walk into every tent, make sure everybody's dressed, make sure everybody's ready, make sure everybody's home, and count. Probably five, ten times longer than it actually took him. Because now all he had to do is go towards the tent, the Shekhinah went inside, counted the babies, told them their number. This is the assistance that every single one of us can bring into our lives. This is the assistance that every single one of us can bring into our work. If we're simple about it. If we don't start worrying, oh, I can't do it, I can do it. This, this is the reason I shouldn't be able to do it. This is the reason why it's too difficult for me. Remember these words. This, these words can change our lives. You do your work, and I will do my work. And again, this is for every single one of us, no matter what we're doing. Once we start worrying about the details, once we start worrying about why or the difficulty, then we're saying, okay, how am I on my own going to accomplish this? The Creator says, okay, you've decided, you've figured out how on your own you're going to do it. Go ahead, go and do it. It might take you ten times longer. 
And in your lifetime, you now have diminished what you can do, but do it. But when we're simple about it, and we understand, no, I can't do this on my own, but, Creator, I'll do my share, you do the rest. This consciousness calls the Shekhinah's assistance, calls the assistance from the light of the Creator. And therefore we understand that there's literally nothing that we can't do. There's nothing that we can't accomplish if we have this consciousness, if we call this assistance, which is, I say to the Creator, okay, I believe this is what I'm supposed to do in the world. I don't understand how I'll do it. I don't understand how I'll have the strength to do it. I don't understand how I'll have the power to do it. But you know what? I'll do what I need to do. And I ask the Shekhinah, I ask the Creator, you do the rest. You do what you do. And if a person awakens this consciousness constantly, then this assistance will come constantly. This ties into another important aspect in this week's portion. This whole concept of counting. What is the concept of counting? And the Kabbalists explain that the great problem that most of us have is that, and think about this, whether consciously or subconsciously, we view ourselves as one of many. Right? There's billions of people in the world. There's millions of people in the country we live in. There are, even within the work of disseminating the light of the Zohar and Kabbalah in the world, there's other people doing the work. We lose the significance of ourselves. We lose the significance of ourselves. The Creator sends Moses, and why Moses? To every individual says, okay, you, I am, the Creator wants to know about you. What happens on this Shabbat is that the Creator removes the Masachim, removes all those layers that we put upon ourselves that have diminished the, our appreciation of ourselves and our work. The Kabbalists talk about the concept of seeing ourselves as Yechidi Ba'olam, single in the world, alone in the world. And none of us, to the degree that we should, view ourselves or understand ourselves and our work in this way. We know, we've heard that what I can accomplish, what each one of us can accomplish, nobody else in the world can accomplish. We know that to one degree or another. But this understanding that the Creator is looking at you, at I, every single one of us, and is both connected and waiting. Okay, when are you going to do it? When are you going to accomplish this work that only you can do? And I, the Creator, am waiting for you, but only you can do it. This direct connection to the Creator is what is awakened on this Shabbat. The concept of Moshe counting the Israelites is Moshe going to every single Israelite and saying, the Creator sent me to you. He wants me to, to remind you, look, he's waiting. You're not just part of billions of people in the world. You're not just part of maybe even many people who are doing the spiritual work or trying to reveal work, light in the world. There's you and there's nobody else. And this is the way we have to start viewing ourselves. What I can accomplish, nobody else can accomplish. And one of the great gifts of this Shabbat is that all those silly um, thoughts from the negative side that diminish my essence, that diminish what I understand about what I can do and what I need to do are removed on this Shabbat. And the Creator through Moshe comes to every single one of us on Shabbat and says, it's only you. It's only you. And again, once we begin that consciousness of understanding that what I can do, nobody else can do. And the Creator, not just that, and the Creator literally is waiting for me, only me. And then we tie that into what we said before. We start all these, all these logical reasons. No, I can't. No, there's this problem or there's that problem. No. There's only you, but what do you have to do? You have to do everything. You do yours. And the Creator says, I'll do the rest. But there has to be these two. 
One is the awakening of the counting, which is the understanding that on this Shabbat the Creator comes to every single one of us and says, only you. What you need to accomplish, what you can accomplish, only you can accomplish. But don't worry. You don't have to finish it all. You don't have to, you, you, all you have to do is start what you believe you are here to do. You, you do your thing. You do your thing. I will complete it for you. Those two go together. First, an appreciation for who we are, that only we can accomplish what we, came, what we can accomplish, and the Creator is waiting for us. And secondly, we don't have to finish it. All those silly thoughts and negative side puts within us, all those doubts, all those worries, all those logical reasons, no. We don't have to finish it. We are going to do our thing, the Creator will finish it for us. And therefore, one of the great awakenings we, we should have on the Shabbat is, there's nothing, literally nothing that I can't do. There's nothing. If I believe the Creator wants me to do this, I'm going to do it because there's nothing that I can't do. He's waiting for me, and He's going to finish whatever, whatever problems arise. The Creator will take care of it. And when we call that, when we call that assistance, it comes. And I'd like to end with, it's related to this, but it's a, it's a, it's a section from Rav Ashlag that I find very inspiring, and I hope for all of us it will be. It, it connects to this parasha, but it connects also to the work that we're doing. Rav Ashlag writes, According to my estimation, Rav Ashlag says, We are at the, at the doorstep of the redemption. If only we find the way to disseminate, new ways and new ways to disseminate the wisdom of Kabbalah to the masses. And the dissemination of the wisdom of Kabbalah in the world is called the blowing of the Shofar. We know there's a famous many times in the prophecies when it talks about the Gemara Tikkun, it says that there will be the blowing of the Shofar. On that day of the Gemara Tikkun, that day of Mashiach coming, there will be a blowing of the Shofar. What, Rav Ashak says, what is this Shofar? What is the significance of the blowing of the Shofar? Rav Ashak says what it's talking about the blowing of the Shafar in the world is talking about the blowing, the dissemination of the wisdom of Kabbalah in the world. Dugmata Shafar Shekoloholech Adla Merchaka Merube. That the, just like it is to the Shafar, the voice that comes out of the blowing of the Shafar goes to a great distance. Kenit Pashet Hed Hachokma Bechol Olam. So too, the, it's important, it's necessary that the echo of this wisdom shines to the entire world. That all the nations of the world, Yishmeu, all the nations of the world will hear about this wisdom. And this is also the work of Eliyahu. It says that before the end of the times, before the, the Gemara Tikkun, Elijah the Prophet is going to come to the world. I am sending Elijah the Prophet to the world before the Gemara Tikkun, before the end of the correction. What is this Gilu Yaliyahu? What is this revelation of the soul of Eliyahu Anavi in the world? It's referring to the dissemination of the light of Kabbalah in the world, the work that we're doing. And therefore it says, that three days before the coming of Mashiach, Eliyahu Anavi, it says, will go to the tops of the, mount, the mountain tops and he will blow the shofar. What is it talking about? What is, it, what is the secret of this? It is the work that we're doing. That the dissemination of the wisdom of Kabbalah throughout the world, 
the echo of this wisdom throughout the world is what is referred to as the blowing of the Shofar of Mashiach, is what is referred to as the revelation of Eliyahu Navi in this world. That the blowing of the Shofar, the completion of the blowing of the Shofar will only be when this wisdom is made known to the, a great multitude. And before the final correction comes, before the final redemption, there has to be this echo of this wisdom throughout the world. And Rav Ashag ends by saying, And one of the great testimonies to the fact that we're on the doorstep of the redemption is all the work Rav Ashag says that I have done, all the books that I have revealed. That all this wisdom that had previously, because had, in the history of humanity, nobody was given the permission that Ravashlag was given, not even Rabbi Shimon Bayochai, nobody was given the permission that Ravashlag was given to reveal this wisdom in its pure and complete way. This is a testimony. This is a sign that we are in the redemption. It's important to, rem- to realize. Therefore, what, what Rav Ashla gave Rav Branwen, what Rav Branwen gave the Rav, and Rav Ashla speaks about it in, in the introduction to the, to the Matan Torah, but the ability to bring, before Rav Ashla, nobody was given permission to bring this wisdom, to, to, to explain this wisdom in the way that, it, that in the pure and clear way that Rav Ashla explained it. And what we understand also, and we have to understand this process, that before the Rav, nobody was given permission to bring this wisdom to the world. It's not just a coincidence that only after the Rav, that not even Rav Ashlag nor Rav Branwein brought this wisdom to the world. Because permission had not been given from above. Rav Ashlag says it's not because of the merit of the people involved. Now, we can have our different opinions that we all believe that it was also a little bit of Rav Ashlag's merit and Rav Branwein's merit and the Rav's merit. But it's important that we understand the, the global process that was occurring. Again, before Rav Ashlag, nobody was given permission to explain this wisdom in its complete form. Not, not Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, and not even the Ari. And before the Rav, nobody was given permission from above to bring this wisdom to the entire world. And therefore, Rav Ashak says, the fact that, that I have been successful in being able to explain this wisdom is a testimony, is a sign that we are on the doorstep of the redemption. The fact that the Rav was given permission to bring this wisdom to the world is a, is a testimony, is a sign that we are at the doorstep of redemption. It's interesting that Rav Ashlag puts his, his work in the context of history. Rav Ashlag says that the sound of the blowing of the shofar is already being heard. It's true, Rav Ashlag says, I have not done the work of the Rav yet to bring this, the, 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 the wisdom of Kabbalah to the world, so the, the blowing of the shofar is not yet heard in all the distance. The blowing of my shofar, that I'm blowing, Rav Ashlag says, my work in blowing the shofar of the redemption is still a thin voice. Ravashak says, but you can't say, have the great re- revelation before you have a smaller revelation before it. And there can't be a great voice if there isn't first a smaller voice. That in the blowing of the shofar, first the voice is lower and lower and lower. And then it gets louder and louder and louder. It's an amazing understanding that again, Rav Ashlag, of course it begins with Rabbi Shimon Bar and with the Ari. 
But the blowing of the shof- what's called the shofar of Mashiach, the blowing of the shofar of Mashiach, which Rabashi explains, is what is it? It's not that there, maybe there will or won't be somebody, Mashiach, actually coming with a shofar, but that's not what we're talking about. That's not what the, the prophecy means when it says, that in that day there will be the blowing of the great shofar. What it means is that the work that Rabashi began, that Rabranwain continued, that the Rav and my mother continued, that that blowing of the shofar that began really only with Ravashlag will become louder and louder and louder. When it says, that on that day, the great shofar will be, will be blown, it means that the voice, as Ravashlag calls it, the, the echo of this voice of the shofar will be great, the great at its critical mass, at its greatest point before this, the time of the redemption. But the understanding is that the work that we're doing, and that this work can only have been accomplished. You know, and it, so I think sometimes we look at the history of it and we think, oh, this is, okay, so it happens. So Rabbi Ashlag, yes, he got permission from his teacher and he began teaching it. And for whatever reason, my parents came to the, to the United States and they started disseminating this wisdom amongst the, all the world. That's the way it happened. No, that's not the way it happened. This was the, 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 the permission from above, as Rabbi Ashlag calls it. That the Rabbi Ashlag was given one permission. Rabbi Ashlag was given to start blowing the shofar with a lower voice. And then the Rav and my mother were given the permission to blow it, to blow it in a greater voice. And this is the secret of, of the blowing of the Shofar of Mashiach. Ramashag says, od kamoni atzmi yodea, and who, who like me knows, she'ini ra'ui klal afilu liyot rak shliach besofer legilui sodot kaelu. That I am not even worthy, Ramashag says, to be a messenger or even a scribe to reveal this wisdom. And certainly, Rav Ashak says, I don't have the merit to completely understand these secrets. But so why did the Creator give me all these secrets? Of course, you know, we can argue with Rav Ashak's assessment of himself, but he says, Because this generation, our generation, is ready for this. Because we are the last generation standing at the doorstep of the final redemption. And therefore it is worthy in Rav Ashlag's time, in the 30s, 40s, and 50s, for the beginning of the blowing of the shofar, which is the secret of the revelation of the, of, of the, of the wisdom of Kabbalah in the world. And what we understand, again, to, because it's so, it's so easy to at times think of it in, 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 in sort of you know, cause, you know, Rav Ashlag, for whatever reason, he passed away in 1954 and he only revealed his wisdom in books, mostly, although he had a few hundred students. Um, and then Rav Branwen continued it in Israel to whatever degree. And then my parents, for whatever reason, they came to the United States and they, that's not the way it happened. They, that, that Eliyahu Navi and, and, the, and the light of what's called the Shofar of Mashiach was given to Rav Ashlag to begin blowing. He calls it, he calls Mamadakai. He's aware that he, when I'm, I'm going to be blowing the Shofar, it's going to be a, a diminished voice. But all voices, he says, has to be has to start low and end high. And then, when my parents came to the United States and they started bringing this, the voice, the echo of the of the shofar of Mashiach, the, the wisdom of Kabbalah, the secrets of Kabbalah to the world, that the the greater greatening of this shofar of Mashiach was an indication, as Rabbi Ashlag says, that that there was permission given from the heavens for this wisdom, for this for the call of the shofar to get wider and wider. And of course. You know, this gives us two things, hopefully both an inspiration for the work that we're doing, but also an understanding, as Rav Ashlag says. Rav Ashlag says, and again, we don't have to accept all the, his, his diminished view of himself, but that he, doesn't, he didn't deserve all the secret and all the work that he did. But that because the generation needs it, the Creator chose him to do it. But Rav Ashlag, we can say that he deserved it also.
But about ourselves, we can be sure that we don't deserve it. But, because our generation is there and it's ready and we're at the doorstep of Mashiach, we can take upon ourselves to, to assist in the blowing of the shofar of Mashiach, in the dissemination of this wisdom, until the critical mass, until the great voice is heard, not because we're worthy, but because the generation needs it. And we can go to the Creator. It's important that we do this. And like we, like we learn from Moshe and the Shabbat, we say to the Creator, look, I know that I don't deserve to be a channel, or even an important channel, for the dissemination of this wisdom, for the blowing of the shofar of Mashiach, but... The generation is ready. Use me. And then I will do my part, you'll do the rest. This is a great gift that is given to us on this Shabbat. That we ask the Creator, we say, you're waiting for us. We know we don't deserve it, but we'll accept this work. And the Creator will allow us to be channels. Rav Ashlag, you know, he says he was here and the, the, what he was given was more than he deserves. Again, we can disagree with that. But the point, what Rav Ashlag is certainly teaching us, that the, 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 the giver doesn't have to be on the level of the light that he's sharing. And that's the great gift that we can receive on the Shabbat. We say to the Creator, give me more light than I deserve so I can share it. Give me more wisdom than I deserve so I can share it. Because as Rav Aslag says, the generation is ready. We're on the doorstep of the Geula and we ask that you give us too much, more than we deserve, to be conduits for this revelation in the world. We should all merit to be awakened to receive this gift on the Shabbat to continue in the blowing of the Shofar of Mashiach, so that, it, as Rav Ashik says, the, the echo of it will echo throughout the world, and then we will merit Bezat Hashem the Gemara Tikkun. Shabbat Shalom.